Hello, and welcome to the final season one episode of the Century Podcast. I'm your host, Alexander Elmore, editor-in-chief of the University of Colorado Denver's student-run weekly news publication, The Century. On this episode, our design and illustration editor, Alex, talks with three of our talented illustrators, April, Rigby, and Tatiana, about digital versus traditional illustration and what draws them to the medium. Personally, my best drawings are stick figure sketches, so let's leave this conversation up to the professionals. Take it away, Alex. Hi there, all. I am Alex Stallsworth, the design illustration editor for the CU Century. Uh, Today, we're going to be talking about some fun topics in the realm of illustration. But first, I'd like to introduce you to the artists who will be joining me today. Hi, it's April Kinney. I'm an illustrator and photographer for the Century, and I'm a 3D animation major with a minor in illustration here at CU Denver. Hi, everybody. My name is Rigby Guerrero. I am also a 3D animation major with a minor in digital design. Um, or graphic design, and uh, I'm an illustrator with The Century. Hi, I'm Tatiana Dubos, and I'm also an illustrator for The Century, and I'm currently majoring in digital design. Great. So, yeah, uh, these are who we have joining us today. We're going to first be talking about digital art versus traditional art. So I I guess I'd like to hear from the artists themselves and hear about what your responses are. Like, do you favor like digital art over traditional, like is traditional outdated? Is digital the most valid of art? Does one have more value than the other? My days for school and work is digital art. Um, Obviously I need to use a lot of digital tools for my animation degree because it is a CG computer animation degree and I enjoy digital drawing and painting a lot. However, I've also made an effort to keep up my traditional art skills. I don't think either one is really more valid than the other option. Um, I think digital art is very good for speed and convenience. For example, it's easier to take an iPad somewhere and paint in Procreate than it would be to haul around a sketchbook or a canvas or another substrate and a bag full of art supplies. So that's one um, factor that contributes to me doing more digital. I also find that I'm just faster with the digital workflow and have a broader range of options for style since it's possible to make a brush out of pretty much any image. Um, I do like traditional art, however, because it's a better starting point, I think, in terms of technique, um, because I've found that a lot of the digital software I use, just Procreate um, and ArtRage, attempts to mimic um, traditional media using digital software, and it helps to learn the techniques with traditional media first, like, you know, drawing and painting techniques, without also having to worry about learning the software and, oh, what do I click, what are the keyboard shortcuts. I also enjoy feeling the feeling of working on canvas or paper, and it's nice to not have to look at a screen every once in a while, it kind of fries my brain after a while to be staring at animation or painting. So while both are valuable, um, they just have different reasons. I personally think that in the, in the context of like the century and a professional setting, I do think digital art is more applicable because it is more flexible and convenient. Yeah, I mean, if we're going to talk about like art as it comes to like careers. I think what uh, April said is pretty much how I feel about it, especially since like what got me into art and animation was digital art. Like um, I had sketchbooks for a while, right? And I learned to draw on paper, all that good stuff. But for like a huge majority of my formative artistic years or whatever in high school and stuff, I would use the school iPads and like download whatever drawing app they let me have and like use that, you know? So like, it's like such an easy point of entry for a lot of people. I don't see the the point in discouraging it 
especially because when we get to the conversation actually about like what art has value and what art doesn't have value, I think my most controversial take is that I don't think any art inherently has value. I don't care how hard you worked on it. I don't care what it's about. No art inherently has any value. And when we start assigning value to art, it gets real, real subjective real fast. And it's a super interesting conversation to have, I think, like assigning value to art. What kind of meaning does art have, all that good stuff? But you always got to keep in mind that's subjective. And because it's subjective, I don't see the point, you know, in like saying that any art can even be more valuable than the other. Of course, social context, the kind of context around how hard you worked, what you what your intentions were, that mattered. But I don't think it's super important to, to whether or not digital art deserves a place at the artistic table or something, right? Yeah, I totally agree with what April and Rigby both said. I mean, for me, I feel like like I do a lot of digital art. That's basically most of the art I do, whether it be professional or just like for, for my free time. But like traditional art always will have a special place in my heart just because it was the first like form of art I got to experience. Like my first experience with drawing was literally just like pencil and paper. And then I learned all the fundamentals about art that I know now, like anatomy, like color theory, and like all those general principles I learned through a traditional means. And I just feel like traditional art will always have some sort of value because I think especially for a lot of young artists, it's like the easiest way to start an art because it's so readily available. But I also do agree that in a professional sense, digital art has its own place with like creating your own style and mark. And there's definitely, especially nowadays, the way we live in is in like the way we live that more like I don't know, digital art, I guess, is easy, is like more easy, like flexible when it comes to making certain things. Yeah, I I definitely see where you guys are coming from because the 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 like the argument of like digital versus traditional has like really been you know ever since like the the really the invention of like Photoshop and all of those kind of things where artists can now like paint digitally and all of that kind of thing. So I think that even the question of like is digital or traditional like one or like is one more valuable than the other is definitely it's really up to the viewer and the artist themselves because like the only people who are going to enjoy the art are the are the viewer who or are they not going to enjoy it, um or the artist who made it you know so i think in terms of finding value in artwork it kind of differs between whether you're looking at like the art critic side of view or the curator for like an art museum because like art critics are more than likely not going to like any kind of art they're historically known for being like they're historically known for not having any leaning towards art in any specific way but like a curator for an art museum like for the moma or the met in new york they often fall into that realm of we decide what is fine art, what is, if traditional art is the only fine art, it's, it's the only one that has value, that kind of thing. Um, but I think with recent developments within like the last couple of months or so, like the birth of NFTs, we have started to find people be able to sell digital copies of their artwork in a, in a way that monetarily kind of contributes to that kind of realm of fine art where you're, you're adding 
you're adding this monetary price to your own art piece. And that's something good in terms of digital art, is that now we're finding a way for people to become, like, to, to find value in digital art over traditional or one or the other. It's like, it's a stepping stone for digital to, like, rise a little bit, a little bit further to the realm of fine art and where the mass media finds value in art. Yeah, I think it's, I think it's like a really a cool way that we're starting to get that monetary foothold. But I, I definitely also fall into that realm of I grew up in traditional art. I walked around with sketchbooks every single day, drew in pencil and paper and all that thing. And then as soon as I got to college, then I was like diving deeper into digital art and less into traditional. So I think that's definitely a, I think that's definitely my thoughts on if traditional or uh, digital actually have any value. I think they both have value for the artist and the viewer, but it's all different for every single person. Yeah, yeah, I got a couple, so I got a couple points to that. First of all, I think it's interesting that you bring up the fact that critics historically, like, give traditional art a lot of, like, importance in the art world. I want to bring to the attention of everybody that I think that digital art is doing something where it's giving everybody a, an easy access point to artwork, and I'm not sure that institutions are okay with that. And, like, this is a little bit conspiratorial, but digital art is good because it's all the costs for it are upfront. You pay for your program once, depending on the program. Like, I paid for Clip Studio, and now I never have to pay for it again. You pay for your tablet once, you pay for however much storage, and then you can just create essentially infinitely. And that's a huge deal for people who don't have the funds to consistently go out and buy new supplies. It's real accessible for people who otherwise wouldn't have that, right? I'm just going to put that out there. Second of all, I think it's interesting how when it comes to value, we automatically think of ways that things can be bought and sold. I think NFTs are a huge example of how, like, we're, like we get total brain rot, capitalist brain rot when it comes to art, right? Like, I don't really think that I need to sell my art in order for it to be worth anything. I don't think anybody has to care or know that it exists, frankly. But the idea that NFTs can pop up and like you can essentially make a fake stamp that says that your art is the original, and that doesn't necessarily matter. And I think that's kind of the interesting thing about digital art. Like that really does speak to the ways we give art value in our society. And I don't think that you can ever truly separate that from money. And like for me, I don't want that to be the value that I use to judge my artwork, you know? So that's what I kind of mean when I'm like, I'm not sure that any art has intrinsic value, you know? That's kind of where I'm coming from. I think that's a really interesting point that you made, Rigby. And it kind of reminds me of that conversation of like, is your art worth it if like you don't have like a large like especially nowadays where a lot of artists get their start through social media it kind of brings up that question of like how valuable is how valuable is your art if you don't have like a large social media following or you don't have like people like you don't have all these followers and i feel like it's so stupid because at least for me i don't have like a large art account but i also don't really care like i make art and create art for myself i don't create it so thousands of people will like it i mean if they do that's awesome but that's not like the only reason i make art yeah exactly like i my personal gratification from like posting my art online is knowing three or four other artists that do the same thing and like we constantly like each other's posts and comment on it and we do art challenges together like that small community stuff 
that's what I really gravitate towards. And that's at the end of the day, what I'm getting out of it. But the second you start up a hobby or your kid has a hobby and the parents are like, wow, maybe this could be something, you know, that's the first thing they think when you get into art as a kid. I had so many parents be like, wow, maybe that's something, you know, maybe you could pursue that. Maybe you could go to college for that. And I did like, I, I do want to do this, but that's because I'm good at it. Like, we don't have to, we don't have to push this on people the second they start getting interested in this stuff, I think. Yeah, well, and going back to like accessibility and that kind of thing, I think digital art is nice in that there's like, it's also cheaper because you can, like I said, get brushes and things that mimic like traditional media and you don't need a studio space for it. Like if I wanted to go do an oil painting with actual oils, one, I have to buy expensive oil paints, two, I have to get, get like a well-ventilated area so that I don't, you know, end up popping oil fumes. But with like something like Procreate, I can now take that and get something like a digital oil brush and make basically the same look or close to it. I can use like a canvas texture overlay to get the same look. And I think it goes back to just opening up the art world a little more to everyone so that one, there's not an economic, or it at least somewhat equalizes the economic differences. You still have to pay for like the software and the tablet or whatever, but in general you don't have to like be refilling your supplies constantly, so it's, you have to pay less. And I think that making one, like elevating the value of one over the other is like, has been iterated in this conversation, making art a little more elitist and a little more exclusive by deciding, oh, you use digital tools and that's cheating or whatever, I don't know. Yeah, I think like to put them against each other really says a lot about the kind of person pitching the argument, in my opinion. Like, if I'm imagining somebody genuinely and earnestly coming to me on the street or something like that and being like, digital art and traditional art are inherently at odds because to me that means nothing. Like, I don't know, especially coming from the cultural background that I do, I'm Mexican-American. A lot of folk art that exists for Mexican-Americans and Native Americans has nothing to do with either of the kinds of art that people are thinking of when they think digital and traditional art. Like, I promise you, it is not a huge priority of, like, folk artists from Mexico to, like, have canvas paintings up and, like, realistic portraiture being their thing. We make art out of, like, like pottery is our art, crafts are our art, all that kind of stuff that's never really been heavily institutionalized, and sure, it can be now. I'm sure that people wouldn't necessarily disagree if I presented my art to them, my cultural art, and was like, this is art. But it's not what you think of. And so, like, assuming that digital art and traditional art are, first of all, categories that are deeply important and have some kind of inherent value and are at odds with each other, secondly, that tells me a lot about you is all. Going back to what April was saying, I find it interesting in terms of this like whole argument of like digital versus traditional. April mentioned that you can find brushes that mimic traditional media. And I, I find that super interesting, in, especially in the terms of like, is the argument of like, you know, digital versus traditional, which one's better, which one's finer, all of that kind of thing. It's interesting that digital artists, instead of trying to completely diverge away from like traditional media, textures, etc. They uh, often find themselves going back, trying to find a canvas texture, a oil brush, a, a watercolor uh, aesthetic that they're trying to incorporate these already like deep rooted in things that society has decided as art, that they're like trying to bring that back and saying, 
this is already something that society has decided is art, is fine art. It's already good. This is good. So if we did this with a computer, is it the same? And like, I, I find that super interesting, like how we're, how we as a society have like, and specifically as artists have often returned to classical techniques, classical textures, classical patterns, paints, etc. Tried bringing that to the digital world, and instead of just like accepting digital for itself, you know that kind of thing. Um, the bigger issue with me with like digital art that I run into is people are like, oh well, it's, it's not so much that oh you're mimicking traditional art, and why would you do that with digital media? It's oh you have copy and paste tools now, and you're cheating. That's that is an argument that I have legitimately heard. It was. I actually heard this from someone at my high school APR show, which was interesting. But uh, yeah, I've heard that. Like the the, the thing yeah. is, like it's easy to trace, and so you're like automatically always yeah. lying that kind but, of thing. Like, the the reason I use like traditional media, I think, is just because I was trained that way, and so I'm more comfortable with it. Like that's where I got my start in art. It's not so much that I'm trying to cater to like the the audience or expectations of traditional art as, you know, this is what I've been trained in and I know how to use and these brushes are easier and make more sense to me than like a purely digital aesthetic. Do you know what I mean? Yeah, yeah, I know what you mean. I think like as artists who are doing this as a career specifically, like not just an artist who's a hobbyist, artists who are doing this as a career specifically are always at the mercy of people who don't do art and their opinions on what art is. And people who don't do art only get their ideas through the media because for some reason, well, I don't, but let's not pretend that there's like not a million reasons why people don't pick up hobbies and like further their horizons. There's a lot of reasons and some of them are valid, but I'll oft, often you get like ideas of art and artistry through media and media often upholds a lot of the very old ideas that formed it to begin with. Like in the movies, a lot of what formed Hollywood is a lot of these like classical um, Western European ideals of artwork and museums and you know theater and things like that and so they continue to uphold that even if that's not their conscious intention what you get from that is a bunch of people out in the general public who don't necessarily know a lot about artwork and also don't really care to like they also like they might understand that they don't know everything but they kind of don't care about that like that's why they're hiring you in their head is because you know but also can't you just do what they want you to do and usually that is um something to do with these old ideas that they've gotten a while ago like i've never heard of like a designer completely agreeing with their client's vision ever unless that client was also a designer yeah i i definitely understand where you're where you're coming from is that it's it's definitely like it's obviously social media it's obviously all of these things that are that are really corrupting it's it's the people who are corrupting this notion of what art is and what art has value and all of that. Sum that up. I think we should probably stem to how we actually got into making art. So let's go ahead and start with with you. I started making art early on all my life, which I'm I'm sure like plenty of people like it's a stereotypical thing. I ended up either in design courses um, because I was kind of split between STEM and the arts in high school. Part of my problem is that I didn't see art as well looking into careers like animation and concept art. Um, 
it's like mostly traditional because I didn't have an iPad yet. I started doing anyway, anime fan, you know how that is. So a lot of my early inspirations were along those lines. And then like I went to um, I went to Mori downtown Denver in the Denver Public School District. And every other kid who wasn't in my immediate friend group really wanted to be a rapper like super bad. And so I used to draw album covers for them, like when they would drop their mixtape or whatever. So it was much more of a community thing for me that kept me going. The reason I chose it for a career, actually, I used to want to do 2D animation. And I used to be very interested in that, but I cannot afford any of these colleges that'll give me that kind of 2D animation education. And it's not like I'm settling for 3D. I think 3D has its own merits. And I've kind of decided that I want to keep my story-driven, like creative kind of artwork for myself and do artwork for business as a career like that's that's my difference there but yeah um, I've always been really deeply interested in sharing art with people and making stories and having people go off that you know yeah definitely for me I guess it's like I guess my technical start with art was through my dad my dad was an artist but before I was born he kind of gave up that career choice because because I was born and you know we didn't come from a we didn't come from a family with a lot of money so he just thought to join the military instead and just do art more as a hobby than a career so that definitely I feel like for me and my dad was like our way of connecting with each other was because I ended up just loving art since I was like super young kind of like April said and he would go to museums together and we paint together he'd show me his comic books like lots of that kind of fun stuff and I definitely got into art and I'd say I started taking my art more seriously around like late middle school early high school I started making comic books and <laughs> and uh, started doing kind of like what Rigby said like drawing my friends for free because I didn't understand how to price myself yet and then I also was getting into things like anime and cartoons that started playing a bigger role in my style, like more in a visual sense and then getting into digital art. When I originally came to CU Denver, I was a computer science major because like April said as well, I kind of thought, oh, art isn't going to be a good enough career to make money and such like that. And I think my dad's experience played a really big role. But through learning, yeah, through like mentors and talking to other people, I kind of learned there are ways to use those creative skills in like a more professional, but also fun way. Yeah, I, I definitely have like similar, a super similar childhood to re really to both Tatiana and April in the sense that I've like always been drawing like specifically like it's just it's just been kind of like a way where my parents were like here's a sketchbook go draw we're gonna be parents over here you know kind of thing and I always was like all right cool I have a sketchbook I don't need anything else so definitely I, I was definitely inspired by my dad's like nerdiness and like love of like all pop culture anything that would consider him a nerd from comic books to Star Wars to video games. Growing up, like watching those kind of things, enjoying those kind of, that kind of pop culture media, just kind of really, like, that really, I feel like that really influenced, like, who I am as a person. And then, like, that also helped to influence my interests in art. That's, that's kind of why I'm, like, I'm, like, really, I'm really into art that has to do with fantasy, like, superpowers, swords, dragons, etc those kind of things and those always been like my defining inspiration in art is I, like if I'm ever struggling with inspiration I can just like go watch Lord of the Rings or whatever and then I have so many more ideas in terms of art and yeah that's I, I think I've gotten 
I, I got serious over art probably when I was like fourth grade, but then it was just as we were talking about that like monetary thing where or that Rigby had mentioned where like your parents are like, oh, you're good at art. You should become an architect. And that's what I was originally going to do going into college. But then I eventually changed to be like comic book artist. And then I was like, well, illustration. And now I'm like into character design. So it's just like changing over and over from like literally every single year. It's just, I, I, haven't, I haven't chosen. It's fine. Yeah, my roommate's in architecture. And my dad became an architect. Like I actually have a real similar experience with my dad that um, that Dottie said, because my dad was also super, super deep into arts when he was a kid, but he was poor and he didn't want to keep being poor. So he became an architect. Now we're not poor to his credit, but that is where he started. That's hilarious because when I was first going into college um, or when I was applying to colleges in high school before I took the animation course, I was actually going to major in architecture. Yeah, I'm, I'm gonna try not to drag on too much about, like, but I feel like that, like, whole idea of, like, your parent being really into art, but, like, not really being able to pursue it as a career because of, like, financial situations, I just kind of makes me realize how fortunate I am that I, like, was born in an age where, like, those resources to find out ways to utilize your art are much more readily available. Because like I said, my dad, I'm black, and then my dad grew up in like the low income part of Alabama. So spoilers, there was like absolutely no resources to find out how to like make it as an artist. So I just get really, I don't know, it makes me really happy to think about how more opportunities, they're slowly becoming more and more for artists to utilize their work so they don't have to constantly go through the struggles that I feel like a lot of us went through, which is like, oh, I can't make art into a career, so I have to do this, even if it doesn't really make me happy. <laughs> yeah, my mom is super good at drawing, but I guess, in ta- well, for one thing, she's from Taiwan, so it's a super different culture, and their art schools are crazy competitive, but she ended up going into microbiology instead, and both of my parents are PhDs, so my parental background with art isn't great. Um, my mom does have a ton of sketchbooks somewhere that I've looked through, and they're they're good, like, they're really good, but... She doesn't do it often, so I've gotten most of my inspiration and techniques from school and the internet. Yeah, exactly. Like, I can't tell you how, actually, I'm glad that my parents are this way, but my parents were stoked when I wanted to be an artist because they, like, to them, that was basically saying, like, we're finally financially secure enough that our child is not first and foremost concerned with survival when they choose a job. Like, that was their thing. That's what they were excited about. And that's totally cool. Every time I show them things that I found online or like tutorials that I just got off Pinterest or something, they're like, that's great. That's fantastic. You didn't have to pay for that. I mean, you should if you have the opportunity because they're nice for doing that. But that's great. Like, what a time. Yeah, I uh, I, I definitely had similar. I, I definitely had similar uh, background in terms of like, yeah, parents were always like, yeah, you should find you should find knowledge wherever you can find it like we obviously all all four of us have like grown up in a digital age like as the emergence of you know the internet and global like accumulation of art knowledge is just like just grows by the day you know and I, I think that's definitely something that has really made it easier for me to be an artist I think if this had happened I, I think if I was born like a hundred years ago probably wouldn't have been an artist who knows because you know I, I would have been probably poor like Van Gogh or something like that eating paint chips in the middle of a street or something yeah I, I think we should probably touch 
briefly on like our favorite artists and then we'll, we'll wrap this up and we'll share all of our social medias so go ahead april okay so my favorite artists right now um include concept artists like peter morbacher um derek sabraki and i'm gonna absolutely butcher this pronunciation but walid walid tagali question mark can't quite remember how to pronounce it right now anyway he he goes by evident he's on the evident design platform and i'm taking a course from him right now anyway they're my favorite 2d artists in the realm of 3d because i am a 3d animation major and i'm doing new vfx i'm very inspired by corridor digital and corridor crew ralph Rossetti and sir wade Vistop, who name i'm also probably butchering should have checked pronunciation for this but i didn't but they're super good at VFX, digital sculpting, sculpting, and our animation. So I draw a lot of inspiration from them. Right. Well, I, it's a little bit of a weird question for me because I like took all my artist inspiration from like random people on Tumblr. I was huge into fandom when I was a kid. So anybody who just came up that did good fan art, I would like always save those pictures and like try and take a bit of my style from them. Right. Uh, some huge people though that I still like after a while that I can think of. This dude named Jean Gerard Mobius was a French comic artist from a while ago. I think the 30s. I'm not sure. His style is immaculate. I love it. He's got a lot of sci-fi stuff going on. It's crazy. Uh, Killian Ang, similarly, real surreal looking, like super intense colors. I love anything with intense colors. I'm thinking, I think his name's, well, I, I gotta double check the name, but whoever made the Dexter's Laboratory cartoon, I love early Cartoon Network style so much, and it's like not one person that I can credit for that because a huge amount of work goes into 2D animation. All those people's collective efforts, though, really, really formed the style that I use the most, I'd say. Um, and then I also take a lot of inspiration from music. Some of my favorite artists are Don McLean, Doja Cat, a huge, like, weird accumulation of just things that really resonate with me so that's on that yeah i probably could go on all day about my favorite artists but i won't my all-time favorite artists are uh miyazaki so the guy who made a spirited way ponyo all those great movies craig mccracken he made powerpuff girls and some other cartoon network shows pendleton ward which is he made adventure time and i remember he was one of the reasons i made a comic in middle school this is the creator of Sailor Moon, Nako Takeuchi. Uh, she was my first, the first manga I ever read and also got me super into like making comic books as well. And then my current favorite artists that are purely online are this artist named Tomakid, who has a lot of like Sailor Moon, Magical Girl kind of inspiration in her work. And then another artist, I'm gonna definitely butcher her username, but I'm gonna try, Lily Uhams, but she also goes by Lily Van, and she's actually an alumni of CU Denver, which is pretty cool. I mean, she does a lot of like illustrations and like logo design. Yeah, I, I definitely uh, can relate to all three of all, all three of you guys' art favorites. I, I definitely have been inspired by all of those, as well as specifically like Stan Lee and Steve Ditko, the co-writers of Spider-Man, which were like, probably my childhood artist that I just like, I was like, all right, who's your favorite artist? Stan Lee, Steve Ditko, people who made Spider-Man. What else do I need? And then like in the last year or so, I started to actually go onto YouTube, which I was, I was never on YouTube before anything. So I like started to like browse all the YouTube art channels. And I, I've become familiar with like Ross Tran, Dave Greco, Mark Burnett, Sam Yang, who, have all like reached, I, I would say somewhere around like a million followers. Not all of them, but in total, I think probably like they're in total like three million if you combined all their followers together. 
which is quite a lot for people to just watch art on YouTube. I feel like that's like that's a lot of people just like sit and watch 30 minute videos. And so they've all like heavily influenced myself as art as an artist recently. But yeah, growing up it was mainly drawing comic book characters. But also watching Spirited Away and also watching all and also looking at Pete Morbacher's art and oh it's just yeah. I I definitely fall into those kind of realms of inspiration. I guess we should probably wrap this up pretty quick here. So go ahead, go, we'll go ahead and start and do, you guys can share your social medias. So we'll go ahead and start with April. So my main website is my art station. You can search April Kinney on ArtStation or go to artstation.com slash aprilkinney46. That'll take you to my page, which will also link you to my other social media and my demo reel. I also have an Instagram, I'm at akinneyart, um, which is also connected to my art station, but if you don't want to go there first, that's my handle. And that's A-K-I-N-N-E-Y art. Yeah, uh, so for me, you can find me at the username ChromaTune, Chroma as in like chromatic color, think that. Chroma, Tune, Tune as in cartoon. Uh, that's on Instagram and Twitter. I don't really have anything else right now. Oh, TikTok also. I do our videos on TikTok sometimes. So just type that in, you're gonna be good. My art station website, same thing. I made it easy for myself and all my art handles are Sunny T Artistry. So Sunny as in S-U-N-N-Y, T like the drink, and then artistry. And then in the link, uh, that's my portfolio, my Instagram, probably some other third thing I forgot about, so have fun with that. And yeah, those are my handles. And then for myself, mine is really long. It's uh, Illustrations by A. Stallsworth. So the last name would be S-T-A-L-L-S-W-O-R-T-H. And that's the same for YouTube, Instagram, TikTok, ArtStation. I mean, that's it right there. Yeah, I think that's all of mine. But uh, yeah, I just want to thank you guys for joining me here today for this discussion. To wrap it up, I'd also like to thank you all for listening to this thrilling discussion from the minds behind some of the art you see in the century every single week. Thank you. Thank you. Yeah, thanks. Thank you for having us. The Century Podcast is executive produced by Tej Boland, Teresa Watch, and Natasha Sherrod. It is produced by Alexander Elmore and Kennedy Earhart. Episodes are edited and mixed by Kennedy Earhart and are recorded via Discord using our staff's own equipment. This episode was written and narrated by Alex Dalsworth, April Kinney, Rigby Guerrero, and Tatiana DuBose. The Century Podcast is paid for by the students of the University of Colorado Denver through their student fees. We'd like to give a special thank you to the regents of the University of Colorado, our chancellor, Dr. Michelle Marks, and the students of the University of Colorado Denver, and to you, our listeners. Thank you for joining us on this season one journey. I'm Alexander Elmore. This has been the Century Podcast. And did you know that the 1988 film, Who Framed Roger Rabbit, is the only time as of 2021 that both Warner Brothers and Walt Disney animated characters appear in the same movie? This was done contractually by assuring neither studio's characters have more screen time than the other, which is why they always appear in pairs of one Disney, one Warner Brothers character at a time. Thanks for listening and have a great summer.